it's all about freedom yeah. for me and getting free and then helping others identify if if they're in an abusive, coercively controlling or intimate partner, violent relationship, identifying it. And then the next step is determining if the person has the courage to get out. Hey, I'm Ginger. I'm a psychologist and practicing attorney. I went from living a life of oppression and abuse to owning my truth and gaining my freedom. My goal with each episode is to educate and empower you, the listener, so that together we can all snap out of it. How did you get into the specific kind of law that you practice? So I was planning on being just a normal family law attorney. And I got a client who was a mother, an elementary school teacher mother, who had been accused of sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. And that's very rare. And so immediately delved into like the most type, the most complicated kind of law, which is domestic violence Mm. and abuse claims in the form of family law. So we're talking about quasi-criminal types of matters in addition to regular family law. And that's a big deal. I specialize in like super complicated, complex (laughs) child custody disputes mainly, but Mm. also high asset divorces, celebrity divorces as well, and other types of more complicated family law matters. Uh, So I wanted to start this podcast because I have something to say, and that is that there are different types of abuse. There are a variety of named abuses, and I'm not an expert in abuse per se, but there is a specific type of abuse called intimate partner violence that is a buzzword today because Mm -hmm. while many people know about sexual abuse, physical abuse, verbal abuse, which, you know, name calling Mm. and psychological abuse, even cyber, you know, abuse, cyber bullying is a buzzword. Not a lot of people know what is intimate partner violence. And so I'd like to talk about that today. Yeah. What is that? What is the definition of that? The basic definition of that? Okay. Well, I'm a lawyer. So if you ask me to define something, I'm going to want to lean toward the law definition, but I'm just going to speak like a person today. So if there's an intimate partner, um, married in a marriage or in a domestic relationship or any kind of even dating relationship or friendship, that's considered intimate and that's a partnership, right? If there's violence in that relationship, it would be called IPV or intimate partner violence, which is now related to abuse because people are starting to understand what's intimate partner violence. And the word violence is also to be expanded. So what is violence? There's violent communication. In order to identify violence in communication, for example, we need to look at our words and how we speak to one another especially in an intimate relationship. One partner says to the other partner in a minimizing way, oh, you don't really think that, or that never really happened. That's considered violent. Mm. And then it can springboard into more insidious, coercive control. So that's another term that I'd like to talk about today. It's called coercive control. Mm -hmm. Is that any, any way similar to gaslighting? Very similar to gaslighting. And that's another buzzword we can talk about because what is gaslighting, right? So let's first look at coercive control, which is a form of intimate partner violence. And what does coercive mean and what is control? Yeah. So, well, control, we all know kind of what control means if a person has control, right, over another person. So people can be controlled through physical, um, towering over another person or emotional or mental. Coercive means 
um, it's the word coerce means to convince or persuade or influence someone to do something against their will. Coercive control means controlling someone coercively in a insidious way, covertly, without being obvious. So for example, a parent controls a two-year-old, eat your dinner, mm-hmm. right? That's very clear control. That's a power and control dynamic, yeah. right? Yes. Coercive control, it's more subtle, mm. right? So, and it does it happen more over time? It's a slow... Thing that happens so coercive control can happen over time okay. it can be really subtle uh it it has to do with the power dynamics in a relationship so if one party has more power over the other because maybe one's a giver and one's a taker and the taker takes advantage of the giver then that creates an uneven power dynamic if a person in a relationship in an intimate partner relationship gives their power away because they're trying to placate or please the other party, then that person can actually lose their standing or their status in the relationship while the other person takes over. And it can be um, voluntary or involuntary because Mm. sometimes, to your point, um, it can be so subtle that it takes place over a long period of time and a person goes from point A to point B over months or years and they don't even recognize themselves anymore wow which is what happened to me i was involved in a relationship where i thought i was making peace in the home there's a the term called shalom bias which means peace in the home which i ascribe to Mm. um and that's to have uh peace in the home right yeah but when one parent one party gives away his or her identity and authenticity or voice or opinion in order to have peace because the other person is taking advantage or coercively controlling or being a taker or exerting their power influence over the other then it's um it becomes unhealthy what happens that someone would be in this situation and not immediately be like whoa right so it's one of those things where it's like can this really happen to me? Mm. This can't happen to me. Intimate partner violence or domestic abuse or domestic violence, which is the older word, right? Couldn't happen to me because of my culture or because of my religion or because of my upbringing or because of our social status or our socioeconomic status. Oh, this couldn't happen to me, right? So what we do or what I did is I tell myself using logic Mm -hmm. and my brain that what I'm feeling isn't really happening. Mm-hmm. And there's a difference between the frontal lobe, which obviously is the part, the logic and reasoning aspect of our brain, and the more primitive brain, which is nonverbal. And the true brain, our first brain, which is our gut, right? Our yeah. gut, we hear our gut reaction, right? Yes. So our it's intuition. about, correct. And it's about listening to our gut and our more primitive brain, which is nonverbal. And knowing that something doesn't feel right Mm. and then not allowing ourselves to talk ourselves out of what's really happening. So for me, I allowed my brain to say, oh, it couldn't happen to me, right? Mm -hmm. There's no way that I, as an educated person who has a degree in psychology, could be possibly the victim of domestic violence. Even now, as I say it, I feel a little bit of fear that I'm talking about the things that were happening behind closed doors because there was always the threat that don't, we don't air our dirty laundry or talk about what this happened because no one will believe you anyway. Mm. You're crazy. In fact, there's such a powerful influence that 
tells a person that they're crazy when they're not listening to their truth. They're not standing in their own truth. They're having to identify with a false version of reality Mm -hmm. that it does create that sense of I'm crazy or I'm going crazy. That's crazy. (laughs) It is. It can feel that way, especially if a person knows their truth, Mm -hmm. they're standing in their truth and they're believing. And then someone says, that's not true. You don't believe that. And they have a power position over the person in the lower, lesser power position. Mm -hmm. And so then that person then questions his own thoughts or her own thoughts or own identification of this is my voice. This is my feelings. It's a form of violence that's insidious. It's abusive. And it goes against everything that I stand for now because it's a type of oppression. What, what can someone do that has become a victim of this? When a person realizes that he or she may be in a abusive or coercively controlled or a violent, potentially violent situation, the first step is to start listening to her or his gut. Mm. Like listen to their first brain, which is this doesn't feel right. Identify what parts of the body are tightening up or tensing up or causing um, angst in order to say, okay, why am I feeling this way, mm-hmm. right? And then yeah. not listening to the voice in the head that says, oh, you shouldn't feel this way, the committee in one's head. Mm-hmm. And then we say in the st- a lot of people who have participated in the 12-step program, and I have too, we learn tools. Mm-hmm. And one of them is about having a committee in our heads, right? Don't listen to the committee in your head. Yeah. Which is great because once you identify your thoughts, a person can identify his or her thoughts and then determine whether or not those thoughts are true. That's freedom in that. And so it's all about freedom for me and getting free and then helping others identify if, if they are in an abusive, coercively controlling or intimate partner, violent relationship, identifying it. And then the next step is determining if the person has the courage to get out. And maybe not even completely out, but change Mm -hmm. and stand in their own truth. So I consider myself pretty strong as a person, naturally. But during the course of an abusive relationship, people can lose their strength and their power and resolve themselves to, okay, this is how it is. I'm just going to stay in this. It is true that generally, and and I don't have the exact statistics, but it is true that it usually takes a few times, eight, for a person who finds themselves in an abusive relationship to actually have the courage to leave. A lot of the domestic violence that I faced and found myself in was um, psychological Mm -hmm. and verbal. You don't mean that. You didn't really see that. That's not true. And the name calling. You're an idiot. You're stupid. You know, those types of things. A, A person who finds him or herself in a situation like that has to make a decision. If you identify that you're being coercively controlled, then are you going to allow it, which most people do, mm-hmm. or are you going to stand for yourself and stop allowing it, which then creates a change and that's all scary. If someone is listening to this right now who maybe uh, resonates with what you're saying, that they could be in this situation, what are, are there any good practices for, you know, documenting the things that are going on that would actually help them in a situation? There are techniques that a person that finds themselves in this type of situation can use. I think the first step for people who this might resonate with is to actually document the events as they happen, like take a, you know, keep a journal. Why? There is so much denial 
when a person thinks in their first brain, their gut, or in their primitive brain that maybe this is happening to me. No, it can't be, right? So there's so much self-talk where a person's trying to talk themselves out of the fact that they are in an intimately violent relationship that you need to have something to ground yourself. And looking at a journal or a diary of what happened last week, oh, that did happen. Because when usually there's, okay, so 30 years ago when I was in college and learning about psychology and domestic violence, et cetera, they called it the cycle of domestic violence, okay? Mm-hmm. So that was before the power, the Duluth power and control wheel that's now used in psychology. And again, I'm not an expert on this. I'm just speaking from my personal experience. But the domestic violence cycle is usually there's an abuse mm-hmm. And then there's a honeymoon period afterwards. So there's usually an explosion of anger and physical or verbal abuse. And then the target or the victim is then um, subjected to a honeymoon period after. I'm so sorry. It will never happen again. Let me control your behavior by giving you something that you want. And then when the person who is the victim receives this attention and flowers and candy and dinner, I'm so sorry, and lots of love, it's called love bombing. Mm. Right. Another buzzword. Another buzzword. Um, the love bombing makes the person who's been the recipient of the abuse think, okay, this time he's changed or this time she's changed. Right. Because we can't forget domestic violence, intimate partner violence is not gender specific at all. But, you know, so much of the DV community blames the men. Mm. Right. Which is uh, a shame because I represent a lot of men and they don't even sometimes have a voice. So what's the next step? Mm -hmm. Identifying that maybe I'm being abused. How do you identify it? Because there's a lot of denial going on in the head. Write it down and then wait a week and look at what happened last week. He he or she called you names, put, put your hands on my throat, threw me against the wall, whatever. That really happened. And learn to stand in one's truth because the gaslighting creates a sense of maybe that didn't happen to me Mm. where you're living in someone else's reality, but we need to stand in our own truths, right? So identifying it and then making a decision as to whether or not you want to get out of it, change it or stop it. What's the psychology behind why children are so often used as the front lines for issues that are, have nothing to do with them? Sure. Is it just because it's easy? So the psychology behind or the psychology behind why a child is used in protracted litigation, I don't want to sound too lawyery, but that's a great term for it. Protracted litigation means just a long knockdown drag out custody fight. A lot of times it has to do with trying to hurt the other person. I'm going to punish you for leaving me. But it's also, unfortunately, here's I'm going to just talk about legal right now in the family court system in California and in the United States. Children have a dollar sign over their heads because whoever has the kid gets the child support money. So a lot of times a parent will fight for custody just to not have to spend money on child support. I'm not paying her child support, right? I'm going to get the kid and they get the kid and then they don't have a relationship with the kid. They just want the money for the kid. Children are used because not only because they're the most malleable in the relationship, but they're also uh, vulnerable, innocent. They're called innocent agents. You know, it's like if you have a bank robbery and uh, you have a person that's uh, completely not part of the scheme at all, and they are told to here, carry this and walk in, right? That's an innocent agent. They don't know what they're doing. And, but the, the problem 
if we want to get really into legal matters and talk about how children are weaponized in divorces using coercive control and um, a term called parental alienation, the parent using the child as a weapon generally is a cluster B personality disorder type. So what does that mean? I mean, I can go into that, but cluster B personality disorders are usually narcissists, borderline, histrionic, I believe, and um, psychopaths or sociopaths. They're people who don't have the ability to govern their own emotions and they use others to help control their own inability to have any empathy or control over whatever trauma they've experienced in their lives. So it's a perpetuation of the cycle of abuse and the cycle of trauma. And I mean, I can go into detail about how to heal trauma, but generally in these types of cases, um, when a child is used for another parent's nefarious purposes, their sick, trauma-infected purposes, um, it's because they haven't done their own work to take care of themselves and to have their own truth because of whatever happened in their previous you know, childhood, or childhood origin. A parent doesn't even have to say, reject your mom tell her she's bad or wrong. All the parent has to do is purse his lips or flare the, the what is it, the nostril flare of rejection, which is in a Disney movie that my children and I used to watch all the time. Um, we as children, all of us have parents, right? We know what our parents are thinking without them saying anything. Raise of an eyebrow, tensing of the shoulders, and we know that our parent disapproves of something. And then as children, children change their behavior to please the parent, right? And this is, so So here's, here's what's interesting to me. Let's say a parent is driving a car, right? And the kid's in the backseat. And all of a sudden, somebody runs across the street and the parent has to slam on their brakes in order not to hit the pedestrian running across the street unexpectedly. The child who's in the backseat, maybe in a car seat, just barely able to talk, says to the parent, what happened? Because they see their parent slam on the brakes and then tense up and start driving again, right? Oh, what do we say? What do the parents say? Nothing. Nothing happened, right? Yeah. Parent, parent has just lied, yeah. essentially. The kid then is trained, oh, I shouldn't listen to what I feel is wrong with mommy or daddy, right? I should ignore what I feel and know as my truth because parent said nothing's wrong. And so then children start growing up with a lie. Like they start believing a lie about their own, not able to rely on their own intuition or their own truth, but they have to believe what they're told, right? And then that that then carries over if they have a parent who is teaching a child a false narrative about the other parent, that child's going to believe it. And then they stop listening to their own version of truth with that parent. So there's a phenomenon called parental alienation. Yeah which um, is essentially where one parent teaches a child to reject the other parent for no uh, legitimate reason when the child previously had a good relationship with that parent. A child will question their own truth when they're told by one parent that the other parent is bad or wrong, and then the child loses his inner voice, and the committee in the head takes over. And there you have the dysfunction. That's where you have psychopathology taking over. That's when there's a shared belief system between a child and his abuser. That's when you have some psychopathology that is shared delusion. And um, the child loses himself and his own identity. And that's another form of intimate partner violence. 
do you have to be so cautious with the way you interact with a child who is on, you know, where you're now in your being alienated against, for instance? Yes. That like, what if the words you say are then turned against you as trying to do the exact same thing? Right. It's so a, yeah. yeah, parents who are alienated have to be super cautious and actually trained how to interact with their children because it's a different way of interacting than in a normal parent-child relationship. Because wow. they're dealing with a child who's, you know, Stockholm syndrome. They believe a false reality about that parent. So no matter what they do, it's always turned into a negative. Right. And there's certain, I mean, like, I don't want to give legal advice or, or seem like I'm helping people with a legal matter because that would be irresponsible of me in, a, in this forum. But there are ways to um, train a parent who's alienated so that they know how to interact with their abused child because alienated children behave differently than abused children. And I can go into a whole. That's for another podcast. (laughs) Our audience is everybody. We all have prisons. We all have false beliefs that we've been conditioned to adopt as our own. Right. And identifying those and being able to decide whether we want to continue living in that prison. Right. That oppression, that bondage, or if we want to break out of it snap out of it and um, having the tools to do that, having the courage to do that and having the support system to be able to stand on one's own feet and in one's own truth without perpetuating the lack of freedom. I mean, it's about freedom, really. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so excited to share with you and look for more ways to identify areas of bondage or oppression in our minds to help you and me snap out of it. (laughs) 